as we come into this time of worship, as we focus upon how God loves us back to life. Hear these words that describe how that happens from the psalmist. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let our rejoicing be known that God has set us free in Jesus Christ as we join our voices together in singing God's praise. Let those who are able stand, but come now together. Let us all worship the living God. We continue in uh, John's Gospel, and we come to the third chapter, the first 21 verses, where we could just, you know, Peter said, Lord, let's not leave the top of this mountain. Let's just build three booths and stay right here. We could stay in the third chapter of John until my retirement. And, and that would be okay, because I'm sure the new guy will have me come back and I could finish, you know. But um, this is a word that we need to hear and live into. And it's a word that we could think we have already heard. We could think, I, I've been there, done that, understand it. There's so much more to this. So let's take a listen, and let's pray that God's Holy Spirit would allow us to overhear it. How many of you had a party line at one point when you were a kid? How many of you listened in on somebody else's conversation? Oh, yeah, the hands went back. Uh, yeah, I, I know you did. Sometimes the best way to hear something is when you're overhearing it. Have you ever noticed how you bend an ear over? Well, that's how we need to hear God's word, like we're overhearing something and really taking it to heart. So in that spirit of overhearing, because we may have overheard it. Listen to God's word. As Jesus is encountered by a man by the name of Nicodemus, John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. Listen to God's word. Now, there was a Pharisee. You know what that word means? It's translated senator. <laughs> you think I'm kidding. Yeah. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to Jesus, Rabbi, that's significant, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, very truly, Verily, verily, amen, amen. Most emphatically, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to Jesus, how can anyone be born after they have grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, very truly, emphatically, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh. What is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind, or the spirit, same word, 
blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to Jesus, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you a or are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, emphatically, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen. Anybody ever want to tell you there's no trinity? Three we's. That's why Jesus is saying we. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, and you do not receive our testimony? If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. That's a word, a phrase for the Messiah. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man, the Messiah, be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May God take this reading of his word and plant it in our hearts that it may grow for his glory. Let's pray. Oh God, our Father, let your good news come now. Let it come and find us not only in word, but in power, in your Holy Spirit, and with the full assurance that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be truly acceptable in your sight, O Lord. For you are our rock, and you are our redeemer. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a film called The Water Diviner. No, it's not about Dave Berger. But a water diviner is someone who can find water. And in it, Russell Crowe plays the part of an Australian farmer named Joshua Connor, who allows his three sons to enlist in the Australian New Zealand Army Corps at the outset of World War I. Imagine, you're you're down in the the peaceful bottom part of the world, New Zealand and Australia, and there's this war off in Europe, but that was the nature of the British Empire. New Zealand and, and Australia, the turn of the 21st century, were still very much part of England. So what England did, you did. And his three sons go off to the Battle of Gallipoli, If you know anything about Gallipoli, it was not a pretty picture. It was a huge loss. 
for the British Empire. All three of those sons become missing and are presumed dead in the Battle of Gallipoli. And the movie begins four years after their disappearance. His wife could not handle the loss. Connor's wife could not handle the loss, and she drowns herself. Connor buries her, promising at her graveside to bring her boys home and, if need be, bury them next to her. Now, as the water diviner, he has this innate ability to sense the insensible. And he applies this sixth sense to the problem of locating his lost children. And after a three-month journey, drops everything, Connor arrives in Istanbul. And from there, he bribes a fishing boat captain to transport him to, of all places, Gallipoli, against the wishes of the British Army, who were there trying to find and properly bury their war dead. Now, possessing nothing but his eldest son's diary that had been sent to him and the knowledge of what day his sons disappeared, Connor is convinced that he can find them. A Turkish officer who was present at the battle, Major Ishan, is the only one who takes this father seriously. The British officer in charge has already planned for a supply ship to take Connor back to Istanbul, and he's content to just have Connor rot on the docks there in Istanbul. He does not want this father involved. We've got work to do. You get out of here. I don't care about your sons. But a most telling scene unfolds. Major Ishan, the Turkish officer, asks the British officer, remember, Connor is a part of the crown. He's, he's a, a royal subject. The Turkish officer asks the British officer, why won't you help Connor find his sons? And the officer quips that he can't go about helping every father who won't stay put and let the authorities do their work and handle the matter. And the Turkish officer, Major Ishan, replies, yes, but he's the only father who's come looking for his sons. My friends, this illustrates the most known and yet most understood passage in all of the Bible, the one we have just read. It is often used, this whole phrase of born again to describe cars and floor polishes and politicians. But the reality is what it's really talking about is what we've just heard about from this film. A father who has come looking for what he could very easily presume are his dead sons. But nonetheless, he's come to look for them. That's what this passage is about. The Father has come looking for you and me today. He's come looking for his children, who by the world standards are presumed dead and hopeless. And the Father will stop at nothing to come and not only find us, but bring us home. And not to bury us, but to give us new life. So that begs the question. Therefore, what does it mean for us in this time and space and every day of our lives? What does it mean for us to be born again? That saying that has been so repulsive or misunderstood by people that they've just discounted it out of hand or used it 
to describe the very mundane and trivial things of this world. Born again, what does it mean? Our world thinks it means getting your life back. Our world thinks it means recovering the things we count to be important. Or there's a new phrase, reinventing yourself. He or she reinvented themselves. It's not that. For the Father, capital F, our Heavenly Father, it meant getting his children back. That's what it meant. Nothing less than that. The greatest loss, arguably in this life, the greatest loss is arguably that of a parent losing a child before their own death. God knew this. God planted it in us. And God affects our salvation, how? Through the loss of his own son to show what it truly means to be born again. To have the greatest darkness take place. And God says, but wait. I am bringing light where immeasurable darkness would seem to have taken away all hope because I will give my own son. And so it is much more than our world knows because our world, for all of its love of the supernatural tale, look at all the billions of dollars that are made on fantasy films. For all of our world's love of the supernatural tale, does not believe the supernatural truth. And that's the tragedy. Does not believe the supernatural truth. And that is that God came into the world in person. That there is a God. And that he made himself known in Jesus of Nazareth. And that he lived and that he died. And that he rose again for the very trivial and dramatic needs of our lives. The world has a hard time believing this, but guess what? Nicodemus did not. Nicodemus did not have trouble believing this. He may have had a hard time understanding it, but he didn't have any trouble believing it. (laughs) It occurs to me, you know, there's a lot of biblical names people give their kids. There's a lot of weird names people give their kids too, but I, I don't mean to digress. I've never heard of anybody named Nicodemus. Jesus knew, we need to name our kids Nicodemus. I'll talk more about that. But Jesus, Nicodemus knew that Jesus, Nicodemus knew that Jesus was more than this world had ever seen and all that this world would ever need. Nicodemus knew this. He was a member, as I said, of the Jewish Senate. He was a Pharisee. It'd be like being, the the Sanhedrin was like the Jewish Supreme Court. He was up there. In fact, some scholars believe that Nicodemus was regarded as the most elevated Jewish scholar of his day. But he knew that the answers to life's biggest questions were not going to be found in the Jewish Sanhedrin. They were not going to be found in the Jewish Senate. They were not going to be found in the Jewish halls of of government. And he came looking for the answers with Jesus. And he came looking 
at night, which is where I think they get the expression Nick at night, but I may be wrong. <laughs> Nicodemus came at night because he didn't want to be seen. He didn't want people to see him looking for something different than the status quo. It would have been like one of the key players in this last week's debacle in the Senate walking across the aisle and going, hey, I think you guys are right. I don't think that happened, but it, that's what it would have been like. He did not want his peers to see him saying, you know what, guys, I don't think we've got it just right. I don't think this is it, but I think this guy has got it. And so he sneaks off at night. And as he did, here's what happened. Jesus loved him back to life. You see, he was dead in his tracks because he was believing something less. He was believing that somehow the law could set him free. And all of his cohorts, that somehow what we can manipulate on our own, that by winning and getting the right answer and saying, oh, see, our team got it. But he knew that wasn't it. And Jesus loved him back to, a, to life, to a life that went beyond all of those measures. See, Nicodemus knew he needed this, but he didn't know to what extent. Jesus told Nicodemus he needed to be born from the Spirit, born from above, born of water and Spirit. And Jesus was the great diviner because he was divine. He was the one who could tell Nicodemus where to find that water, that Spirit, that life that we all need. Nicodemus knew that. What does that look like for us? I think it looks a lot like the opening story I told you about being willing to drop everything for as long as it takes and to go to look for what really matters, where real hope is, and that is that relationship that God wants us to have with him. It is not starting over the way Nicodemus thought. He says, well, how is someone supposed to go back inside their mother and start over again in the, in the human gestation period. No, that's not what it was. See, that was the Jewish thought. It's something mechanical, it's physical, it's human. No, being born again is becoming the new person that Paul describes, no longer regarded from a human point of view. What does that mean, we regard them no longer from a human point of view? It means to be born again into this world by hands and means that are not our own. To be born again means to be given a life that we can't earn, we could never manufacture, we could never qualify for, that we could even, in fact, by human standards, disqualify ourselves for. Being born again is to receive that which goes beyond human comprehension. We need to be loved back to life as a people, as a nation, as a church, as a globe, as a human race. Not by our earned efforts, but to a life that God defines as complete, not by our definitions. You see, we belong to that Father who has come looking for us with the gift of his very best. When by human terms, the Father's heart has been broken to the point of where he should give up, but he does not. Why? Because God looks inside every one of our hearts and he knows our hearts are broken about something we cannot repair. 
We are devastated. And the father says, come to me. Let me make you whole. And when we don't, he comes looking for us in Jesus Christ. We don't get this. We just don't. And we talk about making things right, but we've been here a while. We sang about 10,000 years and 10,000 reasons this morning, but we don't seem to get it right. And we've been around here longer than 10,000 years. And I, I, I don't... I think we don't get it for the same reason Nicodemus didn't get it. We think that this new life, the life we really need, is something we can do or have to do or that God hasn't done or that no one's done, so we have to do something that feels like we are getting what we need rather than having God's wind, the spirit of his wind, blow us to exactly where we need to be. We can get so anxious, so sorrowful, because we're so sure this just can't be right. The wind is God's Holy Spirit. The Greek word is pneuma. Pneuma. If you ever get bored when you're having your tires rotated and you hear that, the Greek word for that sound is wind. That's a pneumatic gun. And it's powerful. And God is blowing us powerfully to where we need to be so the wheels don't fall off. We need this. Oh, do we need this. The serpent that was mentioned in here, those serpents in the wilderness, were trying to suck the life right out of the nation of Israel as it was trying to escape from Egypt. And Moses took a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and it could sound kind of weird and out there. But Jesus says, when they looked at that bronze serpent, you know what happened? The snake stopped biting them. The life stopped being sucked out of them because their eyes were in the right place. And he says, just as when that happened, when people's eyes are on the one who is lifted up, and he says this later on in John chapter 12, when I am lifted up, he says, when the Messiah is lifted up, I will draw all people to me. New life will happen. Jesus says, don't focus on what the world can do. Have we lost sight of that this past week in our nation? Oh, my goodness. Our focus has been on what the world can do. Jesus says, look at what I can do and will do for you in the most hopeless of situations and all things will be made new. We need to be loved back to life. The world, the nation, the church, as individuals, all of us, we think we've got just a flesh wound. We think we've got a little blip on the screen. We think it's something, even if it's big, we think it's something that somehow we can fix. We can't. We think we've just fainted. You know what? We're wrong. We have not just fainted. We are dead, apart from Jesus Christ. We think we just need to be revived. Could somebody please do CPR on me? Not going to work. Unless the CPR is done by God's Holy Spirit blowing the wind of his life back into us. We think we need to have the reversal of our circumstance, kind of like the playing backward in old country song, you know, where you get your horse, your girl, and your dog back because you played the record back. 
words? Yeah. We need more than this. And that is why John tells us of Jesus' cosmic purpose that goes beyond the kinds of miracles the other Gospels describe. They're good miracles. They're good signs. But Jesus shows us something more, and John says Jesus came to be that something more. Nicodemus, there's that name. I think I'm going to name a dog Nicodemus sometime. Because it's such a a great name about the willingness to trust. Nicodemus says, Rabbi. Now there's a statement of faith. This guy's probably the greatest Jewish teacher of all time. And he says to Jesus, Rabbi, he, the Pharisee, says to a Galilean craftsman, Rabbi, Rabbi, we, get this, the plural, we know he's speaking for every member in the Senate and the House and every other leader in Israel. We know that you are a teacher who has come from God for no one, no one can do these signs, these miracles that you do apart from the presence of God. Whoa! What's he saying? What's he saying? He's saying what we need to say. We know, we know that you're God. And we know that whatever's happened to us and is happening to us, you can make right. And only you can make right. He says, we know. He confesses on behalf of the entire house and senate and nation and world. We know that no one can do what you can do apart from God. Nicodemus knew who Jesus was, do we? That's the question. Do we know who Jesus is when things go bump in the night? When the lights go out? When we're disappointed? When someone breaks our heart? When someone votes the way we didn't want them to vote? Do we know that Jesus is Lord? That every knee will bow? That every tongue will confess? That every heart that wants to be put back together will be put back together by him? Here is what this very familiar verse, and actually a couple of verses, say to us. Do we know that Jesus is God and has come to love us back to life? And not just life as it was, but life eternal. And here it is. When all of our dreams have died, any of you have dreams? Of course we do. We all have dreams. When all of our dreams have died, and, and, and some of them have, and all of them will, the best news is that God has stepped into our darkness in person to love us beyond our definition of hope. And that God loves us right now, right here. To do more than give us back what we thought we once had. To make us who we once thought we were but we aren't anymore. Or dreamed we might be. He has come to give us exceedingly abundant more than we could ask or think. He has come to love us this way, cosmically, eternally, perfectly, in ways we don't even know we need to be loved, in ways we can't even believe are possible to be loved. Whoa! That's the God we belong to. 
He has not come to condemn us. The reality is we're condemned already. Why do you think we wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning worrying about whether we took the trash out or not? We're condemned already because our sinful condition says, you don't have a prayer. You will die in your brokenness. You will be miserable. You cannot give yourself hope. I know it sounds terrible, but that's the reality. Except that God so loved and came not to condemn, but to forgive, to make all things new. He has come to love us back to life. And our only problem is we don't get it. And we don't get it because we want too little, and we want too little because to accept what Jesus offers means letting go of our paltry little sack of life. I have known way too many people who think they have heard the gospel but have not been willing to let go of that little sack of life that they're holding on to. I read something this week that we need to consider that calls us to let go of that little sack. It said, we're too comfortable to be spiritual. We're too comfortable to be spiritual. We think we will be able to pursue God better without danger or hardship, and yet it works just the opposite way. Nothing is more difficult than to grow spiritually when we are comfortable. That's why believer Alexander Solzhenitsyn's reaction to his exile in the Soviet labor camp was to bless it. Thank you, Lord, for this time where you can be drawing me close to you and peeling off all the insulation. Because it was there that he discovered that the meaning of earthly existence lies not as we have grown used to thinking it in prospering, but in the development of the soul. There's our hope. Letting God peel back all the different layers. To be loved like this means being willing to be stripped of our expectations and to be blown by the Spirit of God to wherever God knows we need to go. Like Eustace Scrub in C.S. Lewis's The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, who had to have all the layers of his life peeled off not as he could do it, but as Aslan, the lion, the great lion of Judah, peeled off of him. To be set free from our own efforts of trying to get enough of this world, to save ourselves, to try to keep enough stuff that keeps us from being loved back into the life that really is life. No, we need just what God can give, and only what God can give. And this is where we receive it. We don't receive it in reading a self-help book, but there are some good ones out there, but rather the book that says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life because indeed the Father did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but through him we might be saved. We are loved back to life when we come to this place with nothing and less than nothing trusting only that the one who loves us will love us best. So my friends, from south and from north, from east and from west, from the places of darkness and doubt and disappointment and fear or comfort, come that together we may show the world that everything we need is because God so loved.
Our Father, we, we can become so insulated from this simple truth. We think we can know everything we really need to know, but in fact, the one thing we need to know is that you love us, really love us, not just to play with us, but to make us someone new. And so we pray that we would come now on your terms, holding nothing back and holding on to nothing, that you may love us into that life that really is life. For your sake, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May we go out of this place with a new sense of new life. And as we do, may we remember always. We go nowhere by accident. Where we go, God is sending us. Where we are, our Lord has a purpose in our being there. Because Jesus Christ indwells us, he has something he wants to do through us where we are. May we believe it. And therefore, go joyfully in the new life, in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the love of God the Father, in the communion and the fellowship and the equipping power of God's Holy Spirit every single step of the way. Amen.